When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. First thing I mentioned, but I thought was podcast worthy. Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian are a thing. And I saw Kim Kardashian on Ellen on YouTube. And apparently Pete Davidson has two Kim K tattoos, but he wanted to really show his dedication to her and distinguish his behavior from that of previous girlfriends who he also got tattooed. Right, of course. So we got a brand. Nice. That is somehow Kim Kardashian related. Nice. Um, so he has tattoos from past girlfriends. Who he's not with. Yeah. And so he said, well, surely this one I will be with forever. Mm-hmm. So I will brand myself. Well, I guess, yeah, the, the thing that's interesting to me is that I carry, rightly or wrongly, um, I try to be very careful when I when I say forever or always or well, never. Well, I actually don't know. What did he say about the brand? Because to be fair, there are people who just view tattoos as like a moment in time story, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So having a tattoo of literally every person that they date through their life makes total sense to them because yeah. they go, this doesn't mean never ending love. It just means I remember that when I got that, I was dating that person. Well, so I guess what did he say about the brand, but let's put it this way that they haven't been dating for more than a year and he wants to show her that she's different than all of the rest. So where my brain goes there is how could you possibly know you have not nearly enough data and mm-hmm. you know, you were convinced that you were going to be with Ariana Grande forever yeah. at one point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so how can you trust your feelings given your feelings track record of predicting the future mm-hmm. would be my question. And I guess there's, a just, good question to ask. there's just different kinds of people, I think. I don't know that he even cares to ask that question. It just feels real, I think, Tim. Yes, but that's the, I guess that's where I go, yeah, but didn't this happen before? <laughs> didn't this feel real? But in his mind, it feels different than today. It did that time. Yeah. That feels less real the engagement to ariana is so obviously real yeah emotionally today Mm -hmm. compared to the strong feelings he has today for kim kardashian sure i guess yeah i rightly or wrongly remain very suspicious of those strong feelings you know uh, just based on my personal history and everything that i've seen around me yeah (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. well i mean you're it's like yeah what do i (laughs) That skepticism will be right more often than it's wrong. Yes. Yes. In fact, uh, it's a bet that if I could make. Of course. Uh, that I For would, people would, who are skeptical, if half of marriages end in divorce and they're not married yet, then, you know, more than likely they're going to break up at some point. Mm-hmm. So if you just take that bet on every relationship in the world, you will, or at least in the U.S., yeah. you'll win more than you'll lose. You're basically the house. Your odds, even when you're wrong 40% of the time, are just going to carry you to victory. Mm-hmm. So you would always take the bet of a non-engaged couple being broken up in the future. Yes. And you just do it a billion times and you'd win a bunch of money. So yeah. you just- I don't have anything. Um, <laughs> By the way, people not always receptive to that <laughs> philosophy when you're discussing their own relationship. Well, so, well, one of the things that I was- In fact, quite off-putting. I watched Ellen, who I don't know how close she is with Kim Kardashian, be like, I'm just so happy that you're happy. I'm just, which is a very nice thing. And again, I'm not saying that I, maybe I should be more like this. Um, I'm not like that. Like I, I can't put aside my own coldly logical base rate thinking in the face of somebody else's infatuation. Yeah. And well, Ellen does. I don't. She's doing the same thing over. Like she said the same thing to Brittany with Federline. When yeah. Brittany was on the couch and then she leaves and then Katy Perry's there with Russell Brand and she says the same thing and then she leaves and then Kim Kardashian's here. Ellen's not running updated software. She's just always says, I'm happy that you're so happy. Is that the way to be? Honest question. And What's I your goal? To be liked? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> to be well liked? Yes. I've seen or charisma. People, <laughs> I see people off put by your skepticism around love. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they never say you were right. They never. No, no, no. When they do break up, there's no like, hey, thanks for trying to warn me. Well, yeah. Well, this is this was then the question that I came back to is and, and no, they appreciate Ellen because they're in a euphoria. I think it's different if you're watching someone who's in an abusive relationship and you are trying to get them out of it. And I think there will be more of a like, holy shit, thank you for trying or thank mm-hmm. you for getting me out of it. But just on in a general 
the the criticism is that there's euphoria that's undeserved. I don't think anybody really appreciates someone raining on their parade when they're in that early infatuation stage. Sure. Well, certainly not in the moment. Um, You're saying you get credit down the line. Well, forget credit. Is it right or wrong? I don't know. Uh, and and how would one even evaluate right or wrong? Maybe that's that's not a question that that is makes sense for this particular type of type of a thing. Oh, I wasn't being prescriptive. I wasn't saying it's more charismatic, so you should try to be that way. Mm-hmm. I was just saying you are the way you are, and your honest your honest opinion is that this euphoria is stupid, and you're likely to break up, and mm-hmm. you can express that or not. And I'm assuming for this the sake of this conversation that Ellen's and other people's honest reaction is to take people at their word and be happy for them. And if that is your default, people will like you more. It's not prescriptive. It's not meant to say you should change to be like Ellen. So so forget like in this case. What if, and maybe I'm wrong, part of me believes that I can loosen the screw on a decision to be made that might prevent uh, further losses down the line. For instance, if somebody, take, you know, not Pete and Kim, is to get married and I foresee a breakup and I foresee... Uh, a nasty divorce or something like that because there's a discrepancy in money or there's mm-hmm. a different way of if somebody handles being angry versus that person. Uh, yeah, is, is, is that just not worth <laughs> even? No, I think you can bring it up. I mean, I really think that this is, and this is the whole basis of Charisma on Command, it's how you frame what you say, right? So if you come in, you're like, hey man, I'm really happy that you're so happy. I love you and I want the best for you. I wanted to raise something because I love you which is that I know you're thinking about getting married. I would just wait. It's been nine months. Mm-hmm. Put it off for two years. But of I'm, course, that's not that's not going to be acted upon in any universe ever. No, but neither will you tell him. Because the alternative to that is just to go, dude, your euphoria is stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, I know you feel this way, but everyone feels this way. It's not true. You guys are probably just going to break up. Like, that's also not going... Neither is None going to None of it's going you. to affect change. Exactly. Is, is, your, is your baseline. Or if you're saying that you're trying to loosen the screw so that maybe that you almost incept them, you plant the seed, so in a year from now, they are more likely to break up? Not more likely, to, to be clear, it's not more likely to break up. It's more likely to disconnect prior to a, an, an engagement, literally or metaphorically, that would cause them I don't even think more the long-term blunt, suffering. I don't think the blunt way is going to do that better, I guess mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. There's no, there's no advantage to not trying to do it in the loving, charismatic way. Mm-hmm. So in terms of affecting change and being liked, you, get, you, you just win if you go that route. So it's, yeah. not, it's not about faking it, but it is like, this is true of anything. People don't like blunt, hey, you're doing shitty work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah, it just yeah, doesn't yeah. go, it never, rarely does it go well to just unfiltered go negative on something. So, and obviously Ellen's on a television show, but if this conversation were not being filmed, mm-hmm. what she said would be a good start. I'm so happy that you're happy. Have you thought about, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that whatever fill in the blank that I that I've seen this that and the other thing in this yeah well they're also not engaged I mean what what would you tell Kim she's dating a guy and she's happy like she's uh, not engaged to Pete Davidson she's not talking about how no no here's what I would say her. if I was Kim's friend it's a red flag that he got branded <laughs> it's sure, a sure. serious red flag and makes me concerned for his uh, mental health which I know he's discussed having problems and maybe that's okay with you yeah um, I think you could say that, that hey, I'm really happy that you're happy. I know that it feels really flattering that he got branded. To me, that's a little bit of a red flag and you mm-hmm. may want to just put it away in the back of your mind mm-hmm. to just make sure that you don't end up with someone who has, you know, does anything harmful down the line yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, and also, I'm, and then if I was talking to her, I'd be like, I'm also concerned about you that you're flattered by this. <laughs> like, I think this speaks to your issues that, your and again, I don't know Kim Kardashian. I'm imagining someone in my life happy that their boyfriend received a brand with their name after several mm-hmm. months of dating, and that would be my actual feedback. Is like the fact that this doesn't make you run makes me want you to. Well, did she say she liked it? There was um, an attitude of like, yeah, like don't she like don't ask but ask. Like she was, brought up the brand. No. They pre-discuss what they're going to talk about on these television shows. She's clearly not embarrassed about it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't like, and I think sees it as a not red flag. You wouldn't mm-hmm. discuss your uh, infatuations red flags on live television or not live television, but television sure. as far as I can imagine. Um, 
No, I was just sitting there thinking. I was like, Ellen, do you have an obligation to be like, or maybe you don't think that. Maybe I'm the only one that that thinks that is maybe it doesn't cross Ellen's mind, in which case she has zero obligation to to say anything. I don't know. I mean, the truth on who thinks what is that it would depend on the person. Like I could see someone listening to this going, that's obviously a red flag for Pete and Kim. Mm -hmm. But then if their friend's significant other got a tattoo, maybe they wouldn't think that. Or maybe they would think it if their friend's significant other got a tattoo. But then if their significant other got a tattoo, they'd be flattered. So I think it's hard to know. Yeah. Like what we judge others for, we might not even hold ourselves to the same. So someone might be like, oh, of course that's a red flag. And then their significant other of two years gets a tattoo, even though they're not engaged. And they go, well, this is kind of, this feels nice. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I don't, I don't, I don't think anybody really knows <laughs> even sure, how sure. they would react. Yes. We don't have to do it too long. I guess I view that as a sign of like when someone makes decisions like that. And of course, tattoos, like you said, could mean something very different to a person with tons of tattoos. Um, oh, I think it does. I mean, he has the dumbest tattoos. Sure. If you've heard him talk, he, he'll tell you as much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And has, if that's the case, then it's like, if this, if this is like a stencil or a henna, he has the dumbest, most meaningless tattoos to him at some point, And he's getting some of them removed tattoos what it was his version of excusable cutting he said mm. like it with the anxiety and the stress and he would go in and take the pain <laughs> that, see that doesn't make me like the tattoos for for their relationship <laughs> well no sorry that could be a red flag you can think that's a red flag to kim if you're her friend yes but it also indicates that he would just go get tattoos periodically because he wanted to get tattooed got it so he's like oh i'm gonna get a tattoo i, I wonder what it'll to do be today. yeah instead What's of what going on in my other life? people are like oh I'm only doing this because it's so important to me. It's the date that my mother passed away. Mm-hmm. That's not the level of importance that he has with his, you know, bunny rabbit tattoo that represented Ariana. Like Got to him, it. it's just one of 300 tattoos. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And we don't need to do it too long. I did, my only thought was as I watched this, I was just like, there's just this weird, and I, and I see it outside of Ellen in life, this collective, in my opinion, and I, I'm probably too strong this way, this collective clapping at short-term decision-making regarding relationships. Mm-hmm. And then there is a private mourning and a, like se- people secretly divorce. They, they suffer very privately, mm-hmm. I think, oftentimes in divorce. And they celebrate very publicly to the cheers of their friends and family. And I think it creates an, an, a social incentive structure that confuses the entire world as we broadcast how wonderful it is to fall in love but don't have the same mirror image of how difficult it is when you've overextended, overcommitted yourself to mm-hmm. leave a relationship. Well, yeah, I mean, um, I, I think part of it, obviously you can't blame everything on it, but the, a lot of movies, <laughs> the triumph is when you start the relationship and you mm-hmm. watch them when you're growing up, you watch the Disney movies when you're five, you watch the rom-coms when you're a teenager, whatever it is. And so you get to the point where when you're 15 or 16 or 25, <laughs> you, you think, oh yeah, I got the relationship. I won the game. This yeah. is going to work out because the movies just stop at that point. And there's far fewer movies where you get the person, you break up, you end up being single and then the movie ends. Yeah. So we aren't socially programmed to think of our significant others as someone in our life that likely won't be here in the future. Mm-hmm. And so that's just not, that's not the zeitgeist view of who you're dating and so then i think people are often hurt and surprised when a breakup occurs because they they thought oh, i was going to be with this person forever and then they date another person and they have the same thought <laughs> you know what i mean mm-hmm. and uh that's yeah that's just the nature of the cinema that we consume at least is that the movie ends once the relationship starts yes yeah and then, and we reinforce that in our own, the stories we tell, the things we discuss, all that kind of stuff. Well, I, and I also will say, actually, there is, people are not judgmental, out loud at least, of happy Instagram posts, and they are judgmental of sad ones. So when you see a couple, I mean, I've heard this from people, when you see a couple who's happy on Instagram, very few people will go, that's probably fake, or, oh, they're just looking for attention. But if you see someone who posts something crying, everyone goes, why would they... If they're really sad, why would they post that? Mm-hmm. Like, why not just Versus keep that? if you're really happy, why would you post that? Like, well, it's like, well, why would you, come on, just keep that to yourself. Like, it's okay that you're sad, but the fact that you're putting it online is screaming for attention. Mm-hmm. And so that culture, that if you take that belief, then it leads to everyone hiding when they're upset and flaunting when they're happy. And especially the people that need attention. Because if you need, if you need seek, want the attention, the only way to get it 
or the best way to get it is by posting happy things. But if you're needing attention, you might not be as happy as you're. <laughs> sure, but also if you if you poo-poo everyone who posts when they're sad, publicly shaming them, you prevent people from posting when they're sad. So then when you're a consumer of social media, you only see people in quote unquote happy relationships. Mm -hmm. So then you want to make yours work because if yours doesn't work, if you break up after four years, like you failed and your relationship was broken or you're broken for not making it work because mm -hmm. look around you, everyone's relationships are working. So actually weirdly enough, it's the, it's like, I see why it happens because I do see people super judgmental when people do post, Hey, I had a sad Z today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I feel you. So then people learn, oh, I should never post unless I'm happy. And so then other people learn, oh, everyone's happy but me. Mm -hmm. I should hide that I'm unhappy. Yeah. No, Instagram is really bad for you. <laughs> We've <laughs> said this before, but probably delete, uninstall, do what you got to do. It really, I don't think Instagram is capable of creating a sense of satisfaction. I think it is merely capable of creating desires that are occasionally fulfilled and even then rarely. It's mostly creating unfulfilled desires, a.k.a. FOMO. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's yeah. consuming Instagram. But I think posting on Instagram is also probably just yeah, something yeah, yeah. to be avoided. Yeah. No, it's, it's got its you're own. not going to get FOMO, but you are going to... You start... Uh, I think people sometimes live their life through the through lens, the lens of, of a camera, dude. <laughs> what are other people going to think of me if I take a photo of this? And yeah. so they'll go to things they don't enjoy for the photograph. And this existed before Instagram. I remember back in college, I went to a jazz bar in Georgetown. And then... While I was sitting there, I was like, why the fuck am I here? Like, I have never once, we had LimeWire, we had that all stuff. I've never tried to listen to jazz music. Mm -hmm. Like, this is just a cool room that is a place that I like to think of myself as wanting to be. Mm -hmm. But upon arriving there and sitting there and listening to jazz that I had no way of, like, enjoying or accessing, I was like, God, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I wanted to be a jazz guy. And here I am, sipping an expensive drink in Georgetown. Well, I listen to music that I obviously wasn't going to like. Like, I've heard jazz, mu jazz music before. It's not my bag. Hmm. No no insult to those who like jazz music. But yeah, I knew I this. like jazz music. Uh, do you like... I played the saxophone, so I grew okay, up listening sorry. to do jazz you music. Like, do you like Georgetown, like, hit jazz music? Well, I don't know. Music? I haven't listened to it since I graduated okay. high school. So, like, <laughs> so I like it, but I don't hunt it out. Yeah, yeah. So the more contemporary stuff is probably less accessible than, like, maybe the jazz standards that you're familiar with. Um, and that was my experience, at least at this Georgetown thing. Like there's probably some like Charlie Parker stuff that I could listen to and, and enjoy. Um, this was not that. Got it. But yeah, so that, and that's, that's a predated Instagram. You know, we, we tell stories about ourselves going places. Instagram just makes it very easy. It scales the storytelling ability. Mm -hmm. It makes it a passive act. So it's like, oh, you happen to see my trip to, you know what I mean? <laughs> the Greek islands. That was, you know, just something I did. <laughs> Gets fast. I'm just thinking, like, how would you combat this? And unfortunately, the only way would be with more social judgment. If the society became one where we just judged people for posting on social media, that's the only way it would stop. Well, that would stop the behavior of social media, but it wouldn't stop the core problem, which is living your life not for first-person primary source mm -hmm. satisfaction and enjoyment, but for how it reflects upon you in the eyes of others. I think a lot of people aren't even self-aware enough to separate those two. Oh, I no, I'm, are, only I'm only just getting that sense of, like, this feels good in a way that doesn't think good. Yeah, yeah. No, I think a lot of people would reflect on an event and go, no, I loved, I liked that jazz bar. And it would only be if you caught them in the moment that you'd, you'd be able to maybe eke out like, hey, you're, you're bored right now. I don't know if you can tell, but you're on your phone. You're zoning out. You're not, you are not smiling. Yeah. Like what you're, look, you look like you're unhappy. And then only then would they maybe be like, oh, wow, I hadn't checked in on myself. This, the book that I've mentioned, it's called Sadly Porn. It's by the last psychiatrist guy who was on the thing. It talks about this with regards to porn and sex in that, we might've mentioned this, that you learn to like a certain type of body and certain sex acts from media, pornography, etc. cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and those are the ones that, you know, for whatever reason, there, there could be a multitude of reasons that this shape, this hair color, this amount of body hair, whatever, is attractive. Uh, and what happens is, and, I th and I've experienced this, at, at not every time, but at some points in my own life, is that your eyes and your expectations will attract you to one person and one, like, expectation of a sexual experience that will under-deliver in the primary experience. But the primary experience is then, like, moments later or hours later, like sublimated behind 
the expectation mm-hmm. that was then like, oh yeah, that was amazing. Or it was this or that. Or I definitely want to see that person again. Where if you're like, no, play back the experience. It wasn't actually that like you weren't that into it or you weren't that whatever, or there wasn't that kind of a connection going on. Um, well, dating is interesting because I think a lot of people, for a lot of people who they're hooking up with their dating, one of the most important things that that person does is reflect on them and who they are as a person, mm-hmm. which is to say you're not picking a partner because you enjoy their company the most necessarily, or you in the moment enjoy your kissing chemistry the most, but because of what you think dating that person says about you mm-hmm. to yourself and what other people will think of you because that's the person you're with. Yeah. And there's a sense of uh, a good way to check that is like, how excited am I to, or, or fearful am I to introduce this person to people around me at, or strangers? Or hey, if whatever. you're ashamed to introduce your partner to people, it's a great sign. It's actually a, a sign <laughs> that you like something about them that isn't the eyes of other people. You know what I mean? Which is not, it's not that bad. Um, this is this is the only other thing that I had, which is we kind of just have been talking about, which is a, a Naval Ravikant quote. Uh, the only true test of intelligence is if you get what you want out of life. And I don't know that that's, you know, that's a semantic question of what intelligence is. I don't, you could define that as a, as intelligence, or you could define intelligence as something else. And mm-hmm. that statement could be true or false. But um, there is something to be said for like, can you solve the core question of life, which in his mind, he frames as like, how to get what you want and how to want the right things are the things that he says. And the second one is more important than the first because uh, not wanting something is as good as having it, which I thought was just an interesting way yeah. of framing it. Like I, th- th- for all the things that I don't want, I'm like deeply satisfied with yeah. that area of my life. <laughs> I think that's a good quality. It seems odd to just relabel it intelligence. intelligence. I, I feel agree. a little bit like when Vosh said that everyone is racist, yeah. even if you're black with a black wife and, you, and you've never done anything anti-black, but you just live in the U.S. And Which, so because no, of no, that- you vote, you vote Republican. No, no, because the reason that you vote Republican is because voting Republican, the Republicans have done things institutionally that are racist, but so have Democrats. So if you actually do follow the line- No, 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 you have to, according to him, if he was voting for a Republican, if you vote for a Democrat, you can escape the cycle of- Yeah, but it doesn't make sense because the Democrats that you're voting for the are lesser, the same. The lesser of two sure. in, his, in his explanation. Either way, yeah. it, was a, it was a hard rewrite of what the word means. And I feel the same with this, which is like, you can say that's a good trait and you can say that's intelligence. Mm-hmm. You have to rename the IQ test because now the IQ <laughs> yeah, test yeah, yeah. isn't an intelligence yeah, yeah, yeah. test. So now we have to have a- the IQ test just has to become a different word because yeah. you've taken intelligence and you can't use that. That word can't describe both because yeah. there are some people who are just born to, you know, they just are happy with their circumstances. They have a good set point. I don't know if people, we've talked about this on the podcast. People have a happiness set point in their brain. You can adjust it up or down, but some people do just start in a better place than others. It's, you know, if you're born with depression, some people are born with the opposite. Mm-hmm. By Naval's definition, that'd be a very intelligent person, Yeah, but they might not necessarily be good at problem solving. Well, or- you know, what's interesting is that um, apparently, and this, this is just something that I heard from my friend whose brother has Down syndrome, but like when asked, 99% of people with Down syndrome reported being happy mm-hmm. and something like only two thirds of people without Down syndrome said that, Yeah, um, which according to this definition of intelligence would mean that people with Down syndrome are on average much more yeah. intelligent than the average person, which is if you want to use intelligence to mean happy, fine. <laughs> but then we just have to stop using it <laughs> yeah. for all the other things we've been using it for. Yeah, yeah. And we have to rename a lot of the yeah. things that used to have, yeah. like CIA probably needs a different name. <laughs> well, IQ that, test. that's yet another definition needs of intelligence. A um, so. No, so the, there was, I think, if, I'm going to get this wrong. I think it was Heidegger, but there was a philosopher who said, like, listen, just about every philosoph- philosophical argument for the past 2,000 years has been semantics, which is like, that's not what it's te- like people arguing the only true test of thing is intelligence. Like, look, this is very, uh, we could just cut through this Gordian knot if we just define the word and agree what it means yeah, and yeah. then move on from there and stop arguing past one another, which I think, I think he had a point with a lot of, uh, upon reflecting, I don't know if I can come up with other examples off the top of my head, but yeah, like, uh, no, Socrates would ask, what is love? You know, that's not love. It's like, this is just a semantic fucking question that sure. there's an, an utterance that is coming out of your mouth and then you're saying that this guy's description of it doesn't match the yeah. <laughs> No, and I think it's an admirable, I think there's, an, there's something that should be admired about people who are just able to get what they want. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's by just minimizing what they want. But if you want to call that intelligence, then we just go, okay, not everyone that's intelligent is smart. <laughs> and that's fine yeah, yeah. But, but it's just it's like yeah i guess if that's the word you want to use for that 
But stepping back from it, I do think it's a enviable and admirable quality mm-hmm. to not have many desires and be happy generally just with whatever circumstances come your way. Yeah, but in my world, admirable means unadmirable. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I got you. What and you how got? do we know that when I see red, you see red? <laughs> go ahead. I got ran- I have some random political stuff. I don't know if this will go anywhere, if it'll get cut. These are more like things I've been mulling over than things I already have takeaways for. Have you heard of, uh, and I apologize if I mispronounce this, Jajuan Henderson? Have you heard that name? No. Means nothing to you? No. So he's an unarmed black man that was shot four times by police in New Jersey and paralyzed. Uh, these were plainclothes cops. No national protests because there was yeah, no national news coverage. Because there's no election. Uh, yes. And I just thought, you know, it's just interesting. The country was, there was protests everywhere. Thing, you know, it was violent, nonviolent, peaceful. It was everywhere. So, and this happened a month ago. You've never heard his name. Well, this is this is something we're thinking about. What are the odds that uh, police encounters with people of all different kinds of skin colors have dramatically shifted since uh, election time? Yeah, uh, probably not very high. And if they did, it was probably a momentary thing in the wake of George Floyd, where people were uh, very or and COVID was happening. But now that people are back outside, it's been there's not as much heat on. Probably these things are happening with the same frequency. And yeah, it is wild how i mean i guarantee this when there is an election coming up you will hear about black people being shot by cops in the united states of america it will become very very important but until then it will not be (laughs) yeah and we've talked about this but it just it really I, i the news does not tell you what's happening in the world it just points out where it wants you to look today and i just thought that was interesting i found i found the story of the guy and I don't know. He was unarmed, but I don't know what the circumstances were. This isn't to demonize or to say it's just. I just went strange that no one knows this name. Yeah, there's not a single no Instagram one's talking story. about. There's not a yeah. And I thought that was odd. I don't have a takeaway. Like I said, these are just musings that I had. No, I think it's worth considering. Which is, uh, and this right now is happening with Ukraine. Which is the idea that the world is, and and I do get it. Russia is a large uh, nuclear power, but if there are, there are nuclear powers, U.S. included, in armed conflicts very often. Uh, the idea that the world is uniquely at war today in a way that it hasn't been, uh, we talked about the Tigray, which is like literally I know nothing about it other than when you Wikipedia, like tens of thousands of people have been killed since I think November 2020 or 2019. I don't know exactly when it started in Africa that you've never heard about. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think it's simply the nukes in Russia that pull our attention there. I think it is the media's decision to repeat and tell over and over. That doesn't, that's not to say that it is or isn't worthy of attention. Mm-hmm. It is only to say that the reason that you know about it is not because of its worthiness or lack thereof. It is because the media has pointed their cameras there and they don't, do that based on worthiness. That's just not mm-hmm. the the primary consideration. Um, no, I agree. I, I mean, part of the, another thing I was thinking about was uh, I was all watching the news and just thinking about how horrible it is that this stuff is happening in Ukraine where civilians are getting shot in bread lines or buildings are getting blown up that are housing civilians. And you go, it's awful. And I was reflecting on that and I was going that this is also happening in a lot of places where they're not recording it and it's still awful. And I don't know what to do with that information, but I know a lot of the focus is on where the cameras are pointed and not to what was happening in the Middle East when we were the ones doing it or the Mexican cartels. You you look at the the, numbers in Iraq. It's wild, man. It is wild. A trumped up war based on false uh, pretense that they were going to attack us that was demonstrably and totally agreed upon to be false. And you look at the numbers of civilian dead 240,000 wild man absolutely wild that includes uh, that that's Iraq Afghanistan and Pakistan for 240,000 civilians uh yeah how little and maybe the you know the social media like yeah how how the relative focus that that receives compared to other things of the same, you know, armed conflicts mm-hmm. with a nuclear superpower there for false reasons and trumped up. Th- it's it's just, 
uh, it's interesting to note. And it's not to say that you can or can't believe everything. It's just to go, oh, these eyes, meaning whatever is on the television, are not uh, totally trustworthy. In fact, I need to be very, very careful in assuming that I know things based upon what they tell me because what I'm not seeing and what is not being emphasized is a huge part of the story. Um, so yeah, you know, a constant theme of what we talk about. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So another random one, I was again thinking about Ukraine and I was, and my thought initially was, wow, it's crazy that every country doesn't just try to race to get nuclear weapons developed because once you have a nuclear ar- arsenal, you have a complete immunity to foreign intervention. You don't get charged for war crimes. Countries don't put a no-fly zone on you. Everyone leaves you alone when you have nukes. So why doesn't every country just go try desperately to make nukes? And then I realized... Most of the time, even if you don't have nukes, no one punishes you for war crimes and no one comes in and intervenes. And that's a very childlike view that I had based on my upbringing that the U.S. did that, acted as the police of the world and went out there and stopped war crimes and stopped the bad guys. And that's why we were Cuba, Vietnam, whatever, the Middle East, because that's what we do. It's like, no, that's not what we do. There's actually war crimes happening all the time in non-nuclear countries and we just don't intervene because that's not our job and it's not what we do and you just think that because you grew up in the u.s and that's what you were told the concept of a war crime is so fascinating because it's like we're going to suspend murder as a crime for, for you know what i mean like well the, i think the there's supposed to be certain <laughs> civilian protections yes and well I, so sorry i i was reminded as i heard of war crimes i know you'll remember this remember back in high school there was a big fight that was going to happen and it was between a mm-hmm. skinny kid and a bigger kid. Well, even beyond that, it was a skinny kid that people liked who was yeah. generally nice and a big kid who was a dick yeah. and people didn't like. And so during the fight, I mean, there's probably 150 kids on this basketball court. The big kid tackles the skinny kid and just starts to wail. For some ground and pounds. And then an even bigger football player yeah. picked him up, lift him off and said, no wrestling allowed. Yeah. <laughs> and just, he just decided that that was a fight wasn't crime. pre-agreed ahead of time <laughs> it's like yeah what? i loved that guy though the even bigger guy and he did that probably three times over the course of the fight which oh, yeah. then resulted well, in a, a stalemate and by the way that's because the beat down. that's because the big well yeah but the big bully knew if he, the football player yeah. wanted to he beat the shit out of either yeah. of them yeah and so the big kid was trying by the to way fight on a what pretense kid. you're breaking the rules that i just invented well it didn't matter i mean just the idea of I'm going to beat up a smaller kid and I know I'm going to win. Yeah. This guy's giving me rules that I don't agree with, but I know I can't beat him. Yeah, yeah. So I'll play by his rules so I can just beat up the smaller kid. Just the the entire thing was fascinating. Like the big guy, the football player, is instituting rules that do not exist, mm-hmm. that we're not agreed upon. He's trying anywhere. to help the small guy because they're, no, they're yeah, friends. Yeah. And if you disagree with those rules, now he's going to nuke you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like... <laughs> and everyone knows he'd win. And everyone knows he'd win. And And I'm not saying, weirdly enough... I'm not saying that war crimes are stupid and should be disbanded because it's these ridiculous, irrational, not irrational, um, inconsistent, uh, almost ad-libbed lines that sometimes pre- prevent like the escalation into serious well, nuclear war. That's the only part. Conflict. That's the only part I thought was. And again, I don't have a takeaway. I just I was just like, wow, this is an odd thing to be occurring. The the Ukrainian president is pleading with the U.S. to intervene because Russia is killing civilians, which is a war crime. And I was, and I said, yeah, that's that's true. But are we going to arrest ourselves first? Like it seems that's an odd policy for the U.S. to suddenly have. Bro, we got founded on war crimes. We used to target generals. We didn't line up and stand in a line and shoot our muskets because we would have lost yeah. had we done it that way. No, and my so then so then my and again I don't have a I haven't crystallized all this my thought was do like should we follow the jordan peterson rule interfere here help ukraine but then take a very hard look on ourselves and say guys we can't kill civilians and then i went 
this must be impossible because otherwise we would be doing it. You know, there's obviously, I think most people are good just because they're in the U.S. military. They don't become not good. Anytime that there were civilian deaths, someone probably did think that there were rockets and then it turned out to be a real school or there's some sort of like greater good thinking going on. You know, I don't think that we were just gleefully doing it. So it, maybe it's impossible for us to ask our military to do things more cleanly. Well, I think, I, I, I don't know. And again, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Is I, it, I, I, normally I come here with like crystallized thesis takeaways and this is just things I've been thinking about. Somebody could could educate me on this, but I, again, I'm thinking of movies and all this stuff, which is my only potential uh, reference to what might be happening. But I know that when there's asymmetrical power, meaning the U.S. has ridiculous military power and they're using improvised explosive devices, oftentimes the way you equalize the battlefield is by um, blending in with civilians, you know, mm-hmm. like doing the types of things that make it, uh, easier for you to hide, harder to distinguish from civilians because the only thing that prevents them from, I mean, if they were to meet you in an open field of battle, it would just be ridiculous. It would be over immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, oddly enough, that is the scene in The Patriot where the Americans are getting help from all of the whatever townspeople and then the British guy comes in and locks them in a church and burns it down. No more help for you. You know what I mean? It's like, that's a war crime. Mm-hmm. Well, you enlisted, you made them complicit in this war that, you know, you didn't want to play by the rules yeah, that yeah. we said. Um, no, and that's what's, sorry, that is exactly what's happening is that uh, Ukraine says Russia says, bombed and who knows, a who school knows? and yeah. Russia said, no, this happened. Ukraine says Russia bombed the school and Russia says we have intelligence that said that that school had rockets and not kids. And who knows? And they wrote on the ground, yeah. they said, please don't bomb. Yeah. There are kids inside. Mm-hmm. Russia says, yeah, they wrote it on the ground, but there weren't. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not there, but that's how it happens. And then that, and then sometimes they get it wrong and they do kill a bunch of kids and it's horrible. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, I feel out of my depth in this particular one. Well, so. these are just the musings. These are just yeah. the things as I'm, th- as I'm watching and just think a lot of the parallels to things that, that we've done and also to how, how complicated it is. Cause I see a lot of people, maybe, the, maybe the, you don't, but I see a lot of people just saying how we, we just got to get in there. Obviously, I don't see that. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, and it's uh, it's just very complicated and, and messy, and also we're guilty of a lot of things that U.S. people are upset about. So, yeah, just some some musings. Hard pivot, you know, Leah Thomas, the pen swimmer. Yeah, you want to talk about it for a sure. little bit? So she, for people who don't know, she's a pen swimmer. She is trans. She was. She just won. She broke some records and then qualified for nationals and then won. At nationals, she only won one thing. She competed in a bunch of events. It's a lot of hubbub around uh, the issue right now of trans athletes and which division she should compete in. I don't actually, I'm going to let the NCAA figure out that. The one thing I thought was odd was she wrote on her arm, let trans kids play to try to get publicity while she was on the national stage. And I thought that was a weird straw man because no one's saying that trans kids aren't allowed to play trans kids can play whatever they want mm-hmm. they can even compete in whatever they want it's just a question of in which division yeah and i just thought that was really interesting it's like no one is saying that a trans kid shouldn't be able to play kickball at recess they're not mm-hmm. even saying a trans kid shouldn't, shouldn't be, able be able to, to play on college. a team yeah. that's funded like these teams are funded by the students and no one is saying oh you're trans you're disqualified from a school funded team mm-hmm. It's literally just a question of which team should you be on. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was very reductive to make your slogan, let trans kids play. It's yeah. like, no one's, no one's trying to stop that. Mm-hmm. Literally never heard anyone say trans kids shouldn't be able to play a sport. Yeah. I, that's, I think a good point. You know, my, my, probably my least popular take is that this demonstrates that we should not have at the highest levels, uh, subsidized restricted leagues based on gender. I think, and I think that the, the arguments that I'm hearing to, and, and by the way, I'm not hearing many because I, I haven't followed this that closely, but is one thing that I saw is like, you don't compete with your feelings, you compete with your body. It's like, well, that's also true of how you urinate. Like you don't urinate with your feelings, you urinate with your body. So a person who is screaming that, you know, it's, it's oftentimes, um, I think people who would call themselves feminists saying that we don't want this trans person to swim in against women, uh, biological women in, in swimming. 
uh, but bathrooms are okay. Like it's it's uh, not a consistent principle that they would like applied. It's a convenient one because they don't like the outcome yeah. of this particular competition. And like you know, I've talked about it at length. I won't go here, but I think that this points to that we need to stop having these restricted leagues. I think women should be invited, trans women, to uh, compete in any sport that they want, but they have to make the team. And if they don't, they're welcome to play intramural and they can there subdivide however they want. They can have just freshman trans women or just freshman biological guys or just people who can't dunk are are allowed to play or just people that want to play on an eight-foot net on Thursdays at 7 p.m. But when you're getting to the levels of Title IX subsidies covering you, uh, in the case of, like, professional sports, the NBA has been, like... This is actually the other thing I realized. I, I had been considering the WNBA as a competitive sports league, but I think it's more accurate to describe it as a marketing expense for the NBA, and it's a downside protection against the fallout that they would receive if they shut down the unprofitable, and it has been for 20 years, WNBA. But it's worth it for them to... It's just branding to mm-hmm. to have that because they're not actually... It's a cost center, not a profit center. It's not a product. It is a... Um, it's marketing. And so that occurred to me. It's like, okay, if you if you if if we live in a world where, you know, you can either buy a TV commercial if you're Google with a little search bar in it, or if you're the NBA, you can sponsor a league that doesn't earn back as much as it costs, but it makes your brand look good or at least protects from the the negative publicity you would get if you shut down this particular expense, then I guess that's just like any other ad spend. Yeah, no one's <laughs> making them do it. No, no, no. Well, it's, and that, and so then the question, of course, is why do they do it? It's not because they're ever going to earn money from it or they think that they're going to earn money from it. It's because the cost of shutting it down, they believe would not be worth it. Like the amount of money that they would save by not having to pay for the gyms or uh, the salaries or the referees or all that kind of stuff would just not be worth it to whatever public fallout and the, the brand hit that they would take, which is interesting. Do you, do you disagree? Agree? I actually don't know who makes that decision, to be honest. I, I don't know if the... It could also be that the person deciding not to shut it down is is the commissioner who doesn't pay for it. He takes money from the owners. Mm-hmm. Or the, so the it, governors. Yeah, that's a they're no point. longer called that's owners. A fair they're point. called governors. The people who own the teams but are the governors. <laughs> they are, changed the name from governor to. They're not owners, but they don't. But they don't govern the teams. They own the teams. <laughs> Wait a second. They changed the name. Yeah, owner was considered racist because you. Are you kidding me? So yeah, the, they own the teams. The governors that own the teams <laughs> are the ones that pay for the WNBA. <laughs> subsidies. Governors are elected. Well, yeah, they, they elect themselves after they, <laughs> after they, they pay, they pay for, for it. it. They purchase oh it. Oh, my God. So, listen, the purchasers of the NBA teams that govern from on high are the, <laughs> are the ones who pay the WNBA losses. Yeah. But the person who would be in charge of deciding to shut it down might be the commissioner. Got it. In which case, it might it's actually not issue. even be, yeah. oh, we think this is a good marketing expense. It might just be the commissioner and goes, no, of course I'm not going to shut it down. Why would I? Also, so by the way, yeah. now I'm going to need you each to write me a check. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they go, well, okay, we don't really get a vote. So I guess here you go. It's just part of, it's like the tax of owning an NBA team. Or a forced charitable, a, a forced charity. But I don't know. That's, that's just could be. Mm. I'm saying I don't know who gets to make the decision every year to renew the WNBA and continue to subsidize yeah. it. But I, a lot of people disagree with me here. And I, I know this from the previous comments, but like my particular stance on Leah Thomas swimming is, uh, I didn't think that there ought to be a protected division in the first place with Title IX money coming from all the students in spite of the fact that most students don't benefit this, don't attend this, doesn't generate revenue yeah, yeah. for the college. So, like... My my takeaway is actually a different I one, which no, is... I have no problem with Leah Thomas competing is what I'm... is the conclusion of that. Sure. My, my thing is, should she compete? Which division should she compete? The NCAA can figure that out. I just, it's just, um, it's not accurate to say no one's, that they're not letting her play. Mm. 
And I thought that's a, that's a... Or any trans kids play, yeah. It seemed to me like a very clear and purposeful mislabeling of the issue, which is to say that trans, trans college kids have the exact same ability to play sports that I did. I could go swim when the pool had public hours, mm-hmm. and I could go play open gym at basketball, but I wasn't allowed on any team because I couldn't <laughs> qualify. And I was allowed to play. Yeah. You know, I could play. I couldn't. You did, right? Yeah, I did. Played frequently. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just thought that was an odd, it's an odd, and I get why she's doing it, but I just don't think it's a fair caricature of the issue, Yeah. which is to say like, they're not letting me play because I'm trans. It's not true. You can go swim anytime any other person can swim. Yeah. You may not be able to compete in the division that you want to, even though it's the division that you identify with, which is very different than I'm not allowed to play because I'm trans. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that's a very frequent slogan thing that happens, which is- Oh, like, not just with trans, yeah. all the time yeah, yeah. at all times is is you sloganeer your way into straw manning. And if people will pick up your slogan, then they accept your- The frame of the argument. Frame, yeah. Cool. I got one more. Our presidents are old as fuck and we got to stop it. It's not, it's not reasonable. We, it's unreasonable. Joe Biden today is 79. Trump is 75. Nancy Pelosi is 81. Mitch McConnell is 80. Get the fuck out of here. Sorry, Justin, you're gonna have to do a lot of bleeping. I was, I was looking at this recently just because Biden looks old and Trump looks old. Yeah. Well, I, I did the Zelensky video yeah. this week and was watching this guy who's like going on four hours of sleep in a war zone, decided to stay and is leading with an energy that is impossible to imagine Biden yeah. having. And so or I was Trump, thinking, like, and I was thinking to myself, why is this the way we do it? So I looked back. There had never been, as far as I could tell, a U.S. president Reagan, right? elected in his 70s before Trump and Biden. Reagan. How old is Reagan? He was 69. Oh, really? Yeah. He was 69? Yeah. Bro, that guy looked what like I looked a up, when, he, when he won the election. <laughs> now, maybe when he was sworn in. Well, second time. Yeah. Well, no, sorry. Second time he might have yeah. been. But yes, first time he won, he's 69. Bill Clinton was 46. 69, holy cow. Yeah, Reagan was 69. Bill Clinton was 46. Obama was 47. Can we get a fucking 40-year-old you know in office? Reagan had to answer for his age. That's the famous quote that he has, which is, you know, I promised uh, not to make uh, age and my opponent's youth and inexperience a, an issue in this election. And they all laughed about it. Yeah. Um, because obviously that wasn't the question. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. Was, it was, are you uh, brain foggy? Mine was... My only takeaway is, for the love of God, can we get someone in office that was born 60 years ago? Yeah, it's crazy. 55 years ago, 48 years ago. It seems wild that we're just going to let the person who runs the country be someone that doesn't have to live through the decisions that they make in any meaningful way. And also I mean, has no experience. Like the, the informative years that this person had from zero to 25 were so long ago in such Mark, a different world. Watching Zuckerberg talk to Congress is now granted there's nothing to say that because you're old you couldn't understand what was going on no get out if you're 70 you're not allowed to be a candidate (laughs) well whether or not they were 70 they were so technologically clueless and i'm not a savant by any means i could i couldn't figure out how to send crypto on the right network to (laughs) the the artist that we're using for our D stuff but uh yeah they were just lost they were just totally lost about what's coming down the pike and I don't know that that's just age. Obviously, there's other things. I think in order to be successful in a career in politics, you master politics mm-hmm. and not how to uh, effectively run a country. You master yeah. the art of politicking. So, Well, comedic outrage aside, the thing I was actually thinking was what a strange pivot to randomly occur in U.S. history. Because mm-hmm. now we're talking about Biden and Trump running again. Mm-hmm. And Biden might be 80-something and Trump will be 73 and no, no, I think Trump is, is Biden older or younger? Biden's older. Oh, no, sorry. I think Trump's 75, so he'll be 78. Yeah, yeah Biden's older. He's 79 right now. He'd be 79, in his 80s. And Trump's 75. Why did this pivot occur? Why did we go from what had been in the past? And just to be clear, the other candidate was Bernie. <laughs> was well, I know. Like- this, that's what I'm saying. It's a strange, just, from, just looking at it like an alien, they were electing leaders in their late 40s, early 50s, for most of their history. And then suddenly... It's just Bernie, Hillary, Trump, Biden, all these people who are much older than every other past president. Isn't that a strange 
pivot in American history? Yes, but I'm not ready to call it a trend at this point. Let's see what happens. Let's see where it goes. Well, I mean, we'll see who runs in 2024. It's looking like an 83-year-old and a 78-year-old. Yes, but that would still still only be two if it is, in fact, the same two people running Trump and Biden. I guess this is what I'm saying. I hope it's not a trend. For the love of God, everyone listening, please start voting for 50-year-olds in the primaries. (laughs) Very good. Let's fight this trend together. Together. <laughs> Anything else you got? No, that's it. We did get a new sponsor that Justin got, though. Can we talk about Aura Ring? Yeah. This is something I use. And I. so we, we have an issue with sponsors where we just say no to everybody. So Justin said, who would you say yes to? Stop making my life difficult. I said, Aura Ring would be great. For people who don't know, it's a tracking ring. I know you have it as well. Mm-hmm. I have found it so wildly informative for my sleep yeah. specifically. For the quality of my sleep, it's a ring you wear that tracks your resting heart rate, your heart rate variability, your deep sleep, your REM sleep, how often you get up at night. And I realized that I was, I thought I was sleeping eight hours. I was in bed for eight hours. My sleep was garbage. Mm -hmm. And it really helped me pin down what habits to change to start getting actually eight hours of sleep a night. And I think it's awesome. So shout out. Good job, Justin, getting them to sponsor us. I'm a big fan. You wear it as well. What's your experience been? I've worn it a little bit. Um, it actually, the move, I, I misplaced it. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get another one, Justin? We get another. I could probably dig it dig it up, but it was just, you know, got thrown into one of those bins. Yeah. But uh, the things that I learned while I was wearing it, which I did for a long time, total war destroys my sleep. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. Messes with your deep sleep. Yeah, but not necessarily, like, the games that fuck you up don't fuck me up in the same way. Mm. Like, you, didn't, you don't like playing Smash or League too late. Yeah, Smash Bros. Total war. And honestly, it was staying up till 4 a.m. Like, mm-hmm. even if I slept for seven, eight hours, going to bed at 4 a.m. just destroyed me. Uh, this was something that I didn't know. I purposely used to drink a glass of Same. wine before bed yep. for resveratrol, which was, like, really good for longevity. And because I thought it helped me sleep. I thought it was good for me. I literally, I would literally, not for the fun of it, would chug a, a glass of red wine because I, I'd like, medicine mm-hmm. at the end of the night. Yeah, me too. And uh, Aura Ring made me see that that was horrible for my sleep. Like, markedly terrible in yeah. terms of my restlessness and my resting BPM and how much REM sleep I got. Uh, so I stopped doing that. Yeah. It's also so clutch for me because what gets measured gets managed. And so I just know sometimes I'll slip up and I'll get five and a half hours of sleep. And I don't let that happen more than once in a row. Cause I have to look at it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and if I am not tracking it, I know that all of a sudden my sleep skews later like going to bed later waking up later and i'm sleeping less but it's so hard they've done studies you don't ever know you're sleep deprived until when you're not sleep deprived Mm. so when you are sleep deprived your self-reported sleep deprivation is completely untrustworthy you also can't tell how bad you are at things have you heard about this so they'll do tests like mathematical tests or cognitive thinking tests when you are sleep deprived and they'll say, how do you think you did relative to control when you weren't sleep deprived? And you go, I feel about the same. And then you look at the tests and your performance has plummeted. So I often think back to my investment banking time when I was sleeping four hours a night, how I thought I was just doing fine. I probably was absolutely awful (laughs) at my job because I was sleep deprived and just didn't know that I was fucking up so much. So anyway, yeah, Aura Ring, the link is charlieandben.com slash Aura, O-U-R-A. You can get it just by going to that URL or in the show notes and the description below. But yeah, good job, Justin. I uh, I think they're awesome. Yeah, so they're great. Happy to O-U-R-A, have them sponsor us. charlieandben.com slash O-U-R-A. Check it out if you want to sleep better. It also tracks your exercise and that kind of stuff, but I most I most enjoyed it for the sleep stuff. Yeah, you can wear it all day and it'll track, it'll track calories burnt and heart rate and stuff like that. But the thing that I personally really appreciate it for is the sleep tracking. Cool. What do we got? All right. The question I have is, what do you guys suggest when you feel like your dating pool is really small? Most likely because of too high expectations, like someone who is mature, hardworking, not materialistic, religious, and the same level as you. For me specifically, that would be Jewish, modern Orthodox, Mm. and distance. Not wanting to date someone far after being in an expensive and time-consuming long-distance relationship. How many of those qualities should a person hold out for, and what or if should they give up? Uh, for context, I'm age 22, looking to get married by age 25 or 26, but know the person for as long as possible before for at least a year. Just move to New York. <laughs> you could just, all right, yeah, Orthodox Jew, smart, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no problem. It's about 9 billion people in a one-mile radius. You'll be fine. Well, I was like, you can find all of these, and you said Orthodox Jew. I think that's the biggest limiter, but yeah, I'm not saying you should. That's where you live. Yeah. 
So well, that's only a limiter if you live in a rural area. Yeah. Um, you're kind of asking the wrong guys, I'll be honest, because we were not... I never had a list of things that someone had to be. I always just had to like them. Mm-hmm. And that, and like I found out what my list was as time went on. We, our mantra was, listen to your heart. Yeah, but I, and I wasn't trying to get married. So I was like, I got time to get this wrong yeah. and like be attracted to things that are not great long term. And I no, can, it was just meant to be fun. Hardworking, like, why do I need you to be hardworking? <laughs> like that, that does nothing for me. Um, that might change if I was looking for marriage and which was, you know, being a good mother and all of these things that I had never considered yeah, yeah. Would, would become important. So unfortunately, I don't feel like I am the right guy. Well, I can talk about what to do if you're dating and you're not getting your checklist, though, which is just, is this you or the population? If, is, maybe, if you live in an area that is completely absent of Orthodox Jews and you refuse to date anyone but an Orthodox Jew, you have to move. Mm-hmm. If you just go within a thousand mile radius of me, there's not a single Orthodox Jew And I Jew only want to date age, people that are nearby. And you. I refuse to bend mm-hmm. on this. You have to move. Yeah. If there are people around you but they're not matching with you, then you have to change your dating profile. Mm-hmm. If you're going on dates with them, but they don't like you, you have to take Charisma University. Mm-hmm. Like it's just about identifying where is this, where is this process failing? Mm-hmm. And then just do it one, yeah, just do it one step at a time. And maybe probably you'll have a couple failings along the way. So you start at the beginning and then you're, once you're getting a lot of dates, that's when you fix that problem. Dating is a sales funnel and we need to know where your block is. It's not wrong. I mean, <laughs> It's, that's not an inaccurate analogy. No, no. And it's like, I, it sounds like you you feel like you're having a traffic problem, which is like just number of op- people, uh, opportunities to meet somebody that fills I, these. Yeah, my real question is, based on that list, especially the religion one, what is the population size possibly of women? He's 22, right? So let's say 19 to 25 yeah. that are that religion within your mile cut off because you said you don't want to do long distance and if it's not big then you have to move maybe to israel (laughs) seriously do it israel would yeah would be a good place to go Dude, you think i'm kidding Uh, my friend's married to an israeli woman he met her because he moved to israel and joined the army and then afterwards was working over there and he's met his wife now he's living in florida with his wife is he orthodox he's not like he's got elements of of orthodox i don't think he's you know i don't think he was ever hardcore in the realm of identifying with a book in that, like he is Jewish, but I don't he think does he does have a lot. Like, he he, oh, he follows a lot of like the lights off and the no work. Lights off, but he, does, yeah. he didn't have, he wouldn't wear, I forget the thing now, but the thing, mm-hmm. the talit yeah. is maybe the word. I don't know. He's, he's Orthodox light if, if yeah. such a thing exists. Yeah. But I guess it's, that's just to say you think we're kidding, but like, no, if you move to Israel, this problem is solved. And then you have other problems, which is maybe what to do. English about, was their first language yeah. was your prerequisite or, hey, where, I can't work here. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a visa. But Again, like New York, LA, I promise you there's major cities that have a ton of Jews. So yeah, step one is put yourself in an area where you're, it's possible to meet this person. Step two is work on attracting and making this person like you and filtering for liking them. Yeah. So I don't know and where And then you're, of course, the last question that you asked is like, which of these should I let up? Like, I can't tell you. If it were me, I would totally let go of the Orthodox Jew thing, but that's obviously me. I already <laughs> have. I don't care. I'm and Jewish I and have. I... Had. Yeah, it's been a long time since I was dating someone. So, so that I mean, I say that totally facetiously. I'm not saying you ought to. Kind of facetiously. No, I can't tell you which yeah. of your standards you need to give up. I, if any, can only show you mine and go. I'm. I like these ones. Like, but you might not. So, I, I have no idea which of which of those you're not going to be. Which of those you would be totally happy if you were to relinquish? Unfortunately, I don't know. You get to. I will say this: you get to have a lot more standards and not fold on them when you're in a place that has a giant dating pool and you're very good at dating Mm -hmm. and you have to give up more and more of your checklist when no one around you could possibly fulfill it or you're not particularly good at getting people to want to date you. Mm -hmm. Cool. Is that it? Yep. Dope. All right, what do we got on Patreon today? Patreon, we're going to talk about mastering persuasion, dating your friend's sister, and how to build wealth with a totally reasonable couple extra hundred bucks per month. Nice. All right, well, we're going to hop on to Patreon if you guys want to support the podcast. Every dollar goes to Justin. I'll let you know if that ever changes. It'd be great if that changed. It's <laughs> <laughs> never going to change as far as I can tell. Um, so it keeps the podcast going truly because, like, Justin is the is the guy who, who makes it happen. Ben and I sit here. Justin does the everything else. Um, so if you want to support the podcast, you like it, and you want to get another hour and a half or usually about that, an hour-ish of content, 
check out Patreon. Any dollar amount gets you in and helps keep us going. Appreciate you guys either way. Take care. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.